You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 173 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and we are kinky perverts, too, that just so happen to be non-monogamously married to each other. Our guests this week are Jamila Dawson and August McLaughlin, and they talk with us about sex, kink, and trauma. Let me tell you a little bit more about these two awesome humans. Jamila, along with August, co-authored the book With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. A licensed therapist with an expertise in sexuality, trauma, and relationships, Jamila has been a sex educator since 2005 and has practiced psychotherapy since 2015. She's the founder and owner of the psychotherapy practice Fire and Flow Therapy. Jamila has collaborated with a bunch of different media outlets like BuzzFeed, Playboy, Harper's Bazaar, and more. Plus, she uses her social media to share practices, tools, and reflections on sexuality, relationships, and mental health. August is a nationally recognized journalist and the host and producer of the podcast Girl Boner Radio, which is a story-driven podcast about sexual empowerment, relationships, and pleasure. Her 2018 book Girl Boner was featured in the New York Times and called Equally Fun, Risque, and Informative by Publishers Weekly. In addition to writing for major publications, August is also a speaker. She presents at colleges, she's given a TEDx talk, and has even spoken at the CDC headquarters, and of course, also co-authored with pleasure with Jamila. Okay, y'all, this conversation is so needed. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you've got trauma. (laughs) Wait, that came out wrong. You don't have trauma from this podcast. We... We are a bright light. We ground you. No, you know what I mean. What I mean is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a person. And the vast majority of people, dare I say all, well, I guess there could be dogs listening to the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, oh my God. But really, all of us, maybe even our dogs, have trauma. And even if that trauma seems unrelated to sex and pleasure, and yes, I'm talking about humans now, perhaps you're healing from being raised by a narcissistic parent, or you've survived abuse in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you've been through a traumatic incident, or you have ongoing trauma related to systemic oppression. Even though these aren't bedroom things, they can all affect your relationship with pleasure, whether you realize it or not. Some of what we touch on in this conversation, what trauma is and how we can identify and quantify it. If fuck can be a trauma response, just like fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. The mind-body connection and how it's affected by trauma. 
What components make an event or a situation traumatic? Why people find BDSM therapeutic? The difference between subspace and dissociation and how you can tell the difference, neurodivergence and trauma and sex, and a whole bunch more. And don't worry, I know that trauma feels like, oh man, this is going to be a heavy topic. I don't know if I can get, ooh, it's a lot. Am I in the right head? You know what? We don't disappoint, right? You know us. You'll be laughing your ass off through this whole conversation just like we all were. Because, you know, one of our superpowers, I don't know how we do it, but it's fusing serious topics with lots of ridiculousness and laughter. So, of course, before we roll this conversation, let's wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex. And our balls aren't too dirty this week, so it'll be quick, but enjoyable. So first, hop on over to our Patreon page where there is the most hilarious story up right now from August. It's a a maxi pad with wings. I think I just I can't even do it justice. Just go listen. And also, if you become an American Sex Podcast Patreon member, you'll get other stuff too, like all of our episodes early. I'll send you American fucker stickers in the mail. You'll get a bunch of bonus audio and more. Just head on over to patreon.com slash American Sex. And that address, in addition to all of our guest links, our sponsor information, and any other resources or links that we mention in this entire episode, they're going to be in our show notes for episode 173 at americansexpodcast.com, or they'll also be in the episode description. So whatever streaming service you're listening to right now, just go go look at them. The links are all there. You'll also find the link to our kink and sex positive discord server, which is absolutely free, by the way, and we'd love for you to join us there. Also, you're going to get the link to another free thing, my newly updated kink negotiation mini workbook. So go download yourself a copy. It is free. Oh, and by the way, since you're going to go to the show notes and look at all these links anyway, go sign up for my newsletter. I am on the verge of announcing my latest project, which is hosting my own virtual BDSM pleasure and education classes. You know, I teach for other people all the time, but this time I'm doing it for myself. I've got, I think, 12 BDSM and pleasure education classes lined up. And I'm going to be teaching them in in order, like rotating. I think it'll take me like three months to get through them all if I do it every week or every two weeks or something. I don't know, math, it's a lot. But uh, go sign up for my mailing list because you're going to be the first to find out when those dates drop. That's it. Speaking of dropping, balls, they're clean. That was easy, right? Okay, get ready to laugh yourself through trauma in Sex and Kink with Jamila Dawson and August McLaughlin. I am really excited, which it seems a little counterintuitive that I'm so excited about trauma, but hell, I am. On the line, we've got August and Jamila, who just wrote the book With Pleasure, and uh, it is a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. I don't know. I'm trying to be funny. Uh, like really dad joke right off the I'm bat. I'm sorry. Seriously. Hi, you two. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. You know, it's just that was like the high five where we missed hands, but verbally, it's just, I was trying. But our hands were there. Our hands were exactly. There. Exactly. You get a C for effort, though. 
So I am so excited about this book as sexuality educators, especially those who um, have a specialty in kink. We get a lot of questions Mm -hmm. about uh, sexuality and trauma, kink and trauma, et cetera. And of course, I refer folks to, you know, the classic trauma books, you know, Waking the Tiger, Body Keeps the Score, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But like your book is so accessible is so I I love the stories of the different people. Mm. And I love the emphasis on sexual, not just sexuality, but sex positivity. Mm. The the number of times that things like kink and polyamory, Mm. etc. come up, it is very friendly to folks that are in our circle, which you know, American fuckers listening, that's you. Mm. Um, So let's start with how, how did this happen? (laughs) <laughs> we're, all, we're all like giggly like yes oh my goodness it's it it has been quite a journey uh it first started when i met jamila in person in a recording studio we were recording an interview for my podcast for girl boner and I had had this idea for a book and it was very early stages like proposal stage and as she was speaking about trauma and pleasure and ways to manage trauma and just, I mean, really everything she was talking about and the ways that she speaks, I, I was so enamored by her, um, her brilliance, her compassion, and also this beautiful and powerful pleasure-based approach um, to managing trauma. And at the time, I had to kind of like quiet down the little girl me inside because I was like screaming on the inside. I wanted to first, like at the beginning of the interview, within like minutes, I was like, oh, I need to also interview her for the book. And then maybe halfway in, I was like, I think I need to ask her to do the forward. And then, I mean, I just had just met her though. And so mm-hmm. I knew I, it wasn't really the time to just impromptu, you know, invite her. And so I didn't ask her right away. Um but when I did, um, oh, well, I'll let I'll let Jamila share how how that felt to be to be approached. <laughs> it was I was definitely surprised because I um, I'd enjoyed the podcast experience with you, August. Um, but I always go into things thinking like it's a, a one time um, thing of like, oh yeah, we're gonna have this like great intellectual sex, and then like I'm out. And um, when you contacted me to do the forward, I was like, oh, okay, like. That's I can do that. And then when you asked me to write the book with you, that definitely that actually did trigger um, like truly some of my own trauma because I had just had um, a really bad situation with a, a particular sex educator um, who had been incredibly racist to me, who was a white woman. And so I was having all of this like, not again, I don't want to be in something like that again. But um, August was just like stayed with me and was transparent without being pushy. Um, and it was really just wonderful and gentle. And so um, what I tell myself and what I tell my clients is like, it's okay to take kind of the next indicated step. Uh-huh. And so we just have continued to take the next indicated step and it's been phenomenal. And then of course the pandemic hit and it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to have to write this and not ever really see each other except over this little <laughs> box thing (laughs) and so so, but it's been it's been an amazing ride and um 
that combination of like the people's stories and the beauty of August's writing, and then me getting a chance to really say a lot of what I truly feel mm-hmm. about trauma, about pleasure, about the mental health industry. Um, it's it's been amazing. Oh, y- y'all created some magic. Seriously, thank you. Seriously, thank you. to me, the the power of this book is in the stories of all these different people um, mm-hmm. who, even if they didn't have like, here is trauma and I am using pleasure to get through it. Like what, what they did was what humans do, which is we do instinctively reach towards connection and pleasure and we claw and find our way through. And so mm-hmm. I just continue to, to be blown away by the people oh. who stepped up. So let's get into to trauma because I too late already there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> are we all? Right. Hell, it's been since I was two and a half fuck. years old. Just, <laughs> that's all I gotta say is fuck. Right. It, it, right? There's there's the way. book right there. Fuck. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's <laughs> just you open it up, every page is like fuck. fuck. <laughs> and fuck. Exactly. Fuck? All the fuck. So you know, I'm so happy that. Lots of folks are embracing trauma and understanding what it is, but I still don't think enough people do. There's still a lot of people that are like, oh, trauma is like one big instance. You had something, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, an event on one certain day, or um, I've heard a lot of people and I'm I'm very curious to, to, you know, hear what you think of this phrase. Um, When people talk about trauma, they say, big T trauma or little T trauma as if traumas are ranked on how severe they seem to a third party. Mm. So let's mm. talk about that. Mm. What really is trauma and how maybe aren't we looking at it in the best way? Yeah. I mean, if in this particular culture, I think we're, we're not looking at it in um, healthy ways. I, it's exciting that it's even kind of out there as like a word and a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, and, and I think the, the big T little T was um, kind of lay people trying to organize um, their thoughts around that, that conundrum, right. Of the like, mm-hmm. well, if it's not a b- big one-time event, then is there something else? And inadvertently, I think there was that implicit hierarchy. Right. Um, and so I tend to talk in terms of like chronic trauma or acute trauma. Um, oh, that that makes so much more sense to me as a medical person, because I'm sitting here like, what the fuck is big T and little t? Right. Acute right. and chronic makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I just broke my arm or I'm hemorrhaging. Like, that's acute. Like, that's a big yeah. deal right then that needs to be managed. But then we have chronic conditions, right? That have to be, that can be significant, but still, and mm-hmm. have to be managed over time. And so, um, thinking of traumas, uh, especially things like, um, the impacts of racism, the impacts of transphobia, um, if somebody is having to live for, like, in an abusive relationship for a year, two years, three years, that is chronic trauma. Um, there might be acute traumas that happen in there and usually will, but the chronic piece is like that it's ongoing over time. Um, and that's the one that people have a lot of, um, difficulty, I think, kind of acknowledging, mm-hmm. you know, one, because it feels so it's their day to day or real, you know, regular enough. And it feels because it's so kind of normal, um, 
they don't think that it's a big deal. You know, they feel like they're complaining or other people have it worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if we're all, you know, hemorrhaging emotionally, like we're all hemorrhaging emotionally, that we're, that counts, that matters. Um, and the ranking thing is not going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Does everybody have trauma? Personally, my, my, and by personally, I mean like my clinical, in this country, I would say, yeah. Um, when we look at the history of this country of who, in terms of, um, the indigenous people that were already here, I mean, that's a massive trauma. And then when we look at the kinds of people who came over, um, these were people who had been thrown out for one reason or left because, um, stuff was not, working well either religiously Uh or whatever so like literally and then of course like black people being enslaved every single vector for how this country got started is trauma and so how can we not be swimming in that yeah so okay we have general trauma and you know like let's say uh, there's generational trauma there's Mm -hmm. uh trauma in my own life from uh, you know, being raised by a narcissistic parent, there's mm-hmm. you know, gender trauma, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, why, how is that connected to sex and pleasure? That, cause we're, we're creatures in a body, right? And so, um, we cannot have things that, that affect our bodies, like anger, fear, deprivation, um, isolation, those things affect our body. And so, pleasure and sex, which as we all know, right, happen in the body. And so the the body becomes the site of um, immense I, fragmentation is the best way. Parts of ourselves that feel safe, parts of ourselves that, that have to be hidden. Um, you know, we all know that there's this culture is incredibly sex negative. And so people are receiving messages their whole life about um, their orientation not being okay or their gender not being okay. Or, you know, for me as a black woman, that black women have to be, um, we're either overly sexualized or we're considered kind of mammies and like we're not sex, um, like it's sexual creatures at all. And all of this is played out in the body of what we think we have access to or what we don't think we have access to or how people approach us for sex. Um and so that that is one of the reasons why I love sex therapy, why I love talking about um, trauma and pleasure is it's in the body. And if we start talking about how the body actually works, we can start working some of this stuff out. So I have a question. Is it uh, is is fuck on equal footing with fight, flight, freeze and fawn? You know, as a trauma response. Uh-huh. That's a really, yeah. I know that some people, and say, say more, because I know there's some people who will fuck to kind of reduce stress. Other people will fuck somebody as kind of um, like a placating uh-huh. gesture. So it can be. But, but is that a variation of like freezing and fawning? I would put, um, like, I would want, like, if a client to me was like, yeah, like I'm in this relationship and um, I don't really like my partner, but whenever they want sex, I just kind of give it to them. I would put that in kind of a fawning response, mm-hmm. meaning like it helps that person manage that other partner um, and flag to the other partner that everything's fine because we're having sex. And so I would put it under the fawning um, response in that particular scenario. 
Um, but for other people, it can absolutely be one of the others. Um, and again, like, and just fucking itself can be, you know, we've all had it where we're just like, oh, I just want to get off because I'm stressed or like, it's something to do, you know. Every yeah. single day. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm too right. old to fight, so now I fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's and I'm too lazy to flight. <laughs> and I won't fawn. <laughs> so it's like that. That is my... <laughs> Sorry. What? We that was a bit a aggressive. We need a t-shirt for a life. It needs to be a t-shirt. Too lazy to flight. Too tired to fight. So I just fuck. I, just fuck. I think I just channeled my ancestors or some shit. That was awesome. <laughs> and, right, and it's like, you know, the, the bonobo monkeys, right? Like the sacks are fucking like all these different variations of it, right, are ways to modulate the community and the relationships. So I actually think I would put fuck in, um, if it's done in that way to like modulate the relationships, I absolutely would put that in what I call the indicators of wellness bucket of like, it is a, a choice, like a mindful choice to like, I'm trying to do something so that I don't mm-hmm. go into those other states. So like a self-soothing or a grounding sort of. Yeah. 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 And whether it's masturbation or whether it's like, we're feeling really connected. Do you want to like have sex and see if that works it on out? You know, like that's, that's choice. That's not fear mm. driving that. Interesting. But I would say like, fuck is neutral. Yeah, as we've all discovered. (laughs) Yeah, like the parts of speech. Fuck, it serves every purpose. So it kind of doesn't travel. By the way, I feel like such a grown up because we all say fuck a lot and we aren't giggling like 13 year olds. Right? I just think that's amazing. New level of coolness unlocked. Although my inner. That's what makes one a professional sex educator, I believe, is the ability to say fuck and like masturbate and not giggle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, you know what? My 13 year old brain did giggle when we were talking about little T and big T trauma. And I was like, is there a Mr. T trauma? And then I started picturing big (laughs) T trauma as Mr. T. I love that. (laughs) Poor Mr. T is. Maybe that'll be like my grounding. Mr. T imitator that's a little person named Little T. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, my. This is all sorts of wrong and right. And And, and just to remind you, Sonny, we were were in a room with him. Oh, you're right. Do you remember? Yes. With with, um, Suge Knight? Yeah, that day. Yeah, we were in a room with Little Mr. T and Suge Knight (laughs) at the same time. It's a whole different story. It was a thing. That's intense. (laughs) Suge Knight, best smelling, scariest person I've ever met in my life yeah there are other things that, happening in that room that we shouldn't really even describe nice, on this what does he podcast smell like? <laughs> great question what you know it's, it's almost like sandalwood um and he takes bubble bass but doesn't use deodorant oh huh. Huh. and just a little bit of cologne but like it was probably three million dollars an ounce so yeah right like who knows that is someone needs to make a candle that smells like suge knight <laughs> I would never light it. I would oh just like God. glance at it out of the corner of my eye. The combination of smells. I use smells? it to make me work out, no, no. man. Can you imagine? Doing, picture like I want to get a stand up of Suge Knight looking at me mean to make me work out. No, no. Listen, the combination of smells and candles, sugar cookie night. <laughs> oh. You suck. Oh. <laughs> The new Christmas scent by Bath and Body Works. (laughs) (laughs) Right, as they try to reach their urban market, quote unquote. Oh, God. Yup, yup, I said it. Oh, God. Anyway.
Anyway, back to trauma. Back to trauma. I just got trauma. That's that's more. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts trauma. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's like let's breathe um, it out. Let's breathe it out. Oh, We're safe. Breathe. Okay. We, we need some grounding sets. exercises right, right like, now. <laughs> let's flip to an exercise in the book. Like. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. So, August, like, what is your personal connection to this material and why you wanted to write a book on it? Mm, yeah, thank you for asking that. I was struggling a lot in my own mental health and feeling triggered a lot. I actually was diagnosed with um, PTSD. This was in uh, 2016 was when I was struggling the most. And it was when I was starting to stop shaming myself for those feelings, um, partly because I didn't have this, quote unquote, the big T, you know, and those Uh terms were terms I was seeing too, that it was like, it didn't, I didn't feel like I had this, you know, thing that would qualify as something that would match the pain I was going through. And Mm. that really was a huge barrier for me to, to getting support, but then also just on a daily basis, like, it, be, it can become another trauma, another layer of trauma when you are constantly fighting your own feelings, shaming yourself for your feelings. You aren't as liable to get help. It's so exhausting. And when I started to have these kind of epiphanies um, along the way, I, I'm a writer, so I just think that way. And I just thought, I, I feel like there needs to be a book that isn't out there that I, I wasn't able to find. Um, so that's kind of where the the seed was planted for me. And I really approached this book as as a journalist and as someone who's very much a student of this. I, you know, I, I know a lot about sex and I can certainly there's sex education pieces to this book. Um, mm-hmm. But the trauma pieces, I am such a learner still. You know, I learned so much about trauma and managing trauma and the interplay with um, sex, sexuality, pleasure, relationships, all of that through talking to these folks that we featured through these weekly conversations I'd have with Jamila. The two of us would sit on our little boxes with our little screens and our pets flying or squawking or walking or whatever, whatever they're doing at the moment. Um, and, and that's how the book evolved. And it was a really grueling time to be writing this book for the world for us individually for you know the communities that we're in and um Jamila has called it a very meta experience and I feel that even today as we're talking like I've been managing some some things around my trauma this week and it's like it's it actually feels soothing to be conversing like just having air and letting these ideas be spoken about freely is uh-huh. is really refreshing and so i feel it's such a gift to me um to be able to to speak about it write about it you know and to be here mm. yeah it's you know i hate to say like i mean it is kind of struggles and tragic things turn into art and wonderful things that are given to the world and I'm sorry you, you you know went through the stuff you had to go through, but thank you, thank you for like manifesting it into something like this. Mm, I appreciate that. It does. Mm-hmm. It it is an interesting thing to because you know we're celebrating this book and it's also it comes from a lot of folks' pain, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a real beauty in that too. Yeah, there absolutely is. 
So let's talk about um, trauma and how it affects sex and king. Mm. Like I personally have been really geeking out lately mm. um, about the, you know, somatically and neurologically what happens when somebody has trauma. And I don't know if like one of you want to just give the quick like elevator pitch of like, okay, here's what your brain does on trauma. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and I've been trying to practice more saying mind body to remind myself and um, and flag for others of like, this is that old binary started by Descartes of like, I think therefore I am like that has to go, mm-hmm. has to go. And so our, our mind and body really is actually the same thing. And um, so when we have an event that occurs and what's interesting about trauma is it's not always just the event itself. It's the lack of support that happens afterwards that can sometimes Mm. make it the traumatic experience um, or that combination of a very awful thing happening. And then there's no support um, or there's only um, an awful response. And that that combination is what makes it a traumatic event. So really, I think it can be helpful for people to think of trauma like this kind of frozen event um, or frozen experience. in which the the body does not, it's not safe to have um, like anger expressed or sadness expressed or whatever is the the, the reaction that wants to come out. And uh-huh. so there's kind of this like frozen, like a, my hand is in kind of a circle, like this frozen lump that happens. Um, and that when we have, um, you know, EMDR or like somatic based therapy can help people kind of complete the cycle is kind of mm. the, the most um, simple way to put it. But right. to kind of lay together what you wish had happened, what did happen, and then the kind of contradictory feelings, which are all normal and all important to acknowledge when people can have a process of that. Um, can you tell can... our listeners what EMDR means? Oh yeah. So that is eye movement desensitization. Oh, reprocessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one way. And we talk about this um, in the book. It's one trauma informed modality. Um, I have my critiques of it, but I have my critiques of like everything. So that's what it means <laughs> to like be in the field of like, this is great, but not quite this for this reason. Um, but it's one modality that can be very helpful for people um, to move through traumatic memories. Um, its whole point is to like isolate certain memories and then go through these different exercises with the therapist that help reduce um, the the symptoms mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like distress. So would that be useful for somebody who has a toxic parent, for example? If they have kind of um, specific like memories that they're really wanting to get rid of um, or reduce the impact of, it can be very uh, helpful okay. there. I think if somebody has kind of more relational um, pain and traumas, then it might be easier or better for them over time to have like um, still somatic based, but really talking about how they can reparent themselves, how they can find other relationships that are um, healing. And so they can learn literally what healing relationship is and healthy relationship is versus what they experienced. Uh, Yeah, I did EMDR and it was, super powerful and, and right? incredible. And yeah. And um, what Jamila was saying about, you know, if there's certain memories, if you're somebody who has uh, ruminating thoughts and you get, when you get triggered, you go back to these places or you have these kind of like flashbacks or these things that haunt you. It is, 
it is so incredible for that. I mean, mm-hmm. I was really fortunate to work with somebody who also is uh, based in somatic. So she did a lot of mm-hmm. therapy to also help me be present in my body, which is something I've really struggled with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, and it was ironic too, Jamila, I don't know if I even told you this, but hmm. I'd been trying to get into EMDR for some time and we had had this proposal circulating and you never know if a book's going to take like weeks or years or whatever to, mm-hmm. you know, find its home. And it just so happened that during my first EMDR session, we got our publishing offer. Oh, that's so cool. I so I highly that. recommend it for everything. <laughs> um, I'm like, this yeah. modality can definitely get you a book to <laughs> Right. <laughs> totally. So August, can you expand for our listeners on what somatic uh what somatics are? Yeah. So as I understand it, it means basically in the body and um it's and Jamila can probably speak um more specifically about, you know, the all the specifics of it. But for for me, it was all about connecting where I feel my feelings, like where I'm feeling these emotions in my body, which was so foreign to me, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as someone who tends to freeze as a response. I almost would feel like not feel my body, like feel numb. And so I had some really powerful experiences where while I was doing this eye movement uh, and I was being guided through these memories and these different phrases that you use, including these really powerful uh, positive. You you come up with your own kind of like mantras um, mm-hmm. as it goes on, and I had this experience. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever gone through, where I literally felt my feelings come up through my gut, and mm-hmm. I felt like nauseated. Mm-hmm. And my therapist kept saying, "You know, stay with it. Tell me, like, feel it, and and follow it." And like she was just giving it so much space, and now I have chills everywhere because it was mm-hmm. just incredible, and it like the feelings came up and literally it felt like they flew out of my face. I had tears, like projectile tears. I mean, this sounds so Halloween-y as I'm saying it, but it was (laughs) profound. And I felt like this light balloon afterward. I just felt exhausted and just floating. It was, it it was really incredible. I just love that. That is amazing. Like, I love that, that as your friend, August, but then, like, the clinician in me is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I, I hear a lot of, you know, part of this is embroiled in my own personal journey, part of, like, professionally what I hear from other people. You know, one of the things I, I hear people say anecdotally, but I believe it's true, that a lot of us are walking around in constant states of dissociation, yeah. whether we realize it or not, yeah. to some degree or another. Yeah. And a lot of the folks that I know that practice kink, and I'm going to throw that caveat out there that even though kink can be therapeutic, you should not just be using it as your therapy, Thank like you. work with your therapist. Thank you. um, but it, you know, I, I sometimes say that the therapeutic um, things we get from kink, and, and I'm specifically talking about somatic mm-hmm. therapeutic things, are sort of like a system's Uh, like an operating systems update download that's happening in the background. Mm. Like we don't realize Mm. that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of folks say that what kink does for them is it forces them to be present in their body while they're also going through something significant emotionally Mm -hmm. um, that helps that connection. And first I'd love to hear what, what y'all think of that. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. A very professional, like, valley girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes. I, I had a question posed to me the other day, and I have my thoughts, but I'm not the mental health professional. I'm just a geek that likes to read a lot of books. Um, somebody asked me, what is the difference between subspace, which is, for those listening, a quick nutshell, um, a state that you go into when you are uh, the bottom or experiencing thing, the things happening to you in a kink scene that is sort of euphoric, sort of maybe a little, mm, you know, like your head is floaty, you're sort of high. Scientifically, the studies they've done, they compare it to the marathon runner's high or the state that you might go into if you're doing yoga or meditation, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between subspace, which we call a disassociative-like state, mm -hmm. and actual dissociation? Mm -hmm. What I've seen, um, and I would like, but this is both clinical and also what I've seen in the scene and experienced myself in the scene, is um, the dissociation is that, like, you're gone as in you're not really responsive to anything. There's not a sense of pleasure or relaxation um, that it is when somebody's dissociated, like they, there's no real eye contact. Um, that sense that they're present at all is not there. Mm -hmm. um, and it, okay. that is a response. Um, like I would consider like a, in that moment, they are triggered in the truest sense of the term. And any, they, as a person, is not present versus mm -hmm. subspace in which you, you can see that kind of like dreamy, floaty, um, you know, the person kind of wanders around or sits there with this like kind of blissful la la kind of mm -hmm. look on their face. They are, um, not present in a different way, but if you uh, like engage very gently with them, they're like, Hey, hi, so, you know, silly, goofy smile. They're present. Mm -hmm. And so that it's a yeah. radically different, um, like literally like neurologically, physiologically, it's a radically different state. Okay. So Would you say that, um, subspace, uh, kind of forces you to be in your body and forge that mind body connection where disasso dissociation cuts your body off. So you're, you're numbing. Would that be an, a fair assessment? I would shift that, that, um, cause what I love about kink, um, and I do what I deeply, I'm so glad that I found BDSM. Like it was life changing. Um, yeah. that it is, It is this experience of like of integration over and over and over again, moment by moment. And I think why so many of us find um, a therapeutic experience in kink is we are, there's a cognition part, but there's also a body part that are linked up sometimes for, for some of us, like for the first time where um, if like, if you're being flogged, for example, and the person is asking you to give like a number of the intensity that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. So you have to literally sense your body of like, oh, is this a five? Is this a 10? And then you speak it, but you're also still experiencing what's happening in your body. That, mm -hmm. that process is being truly present. And when your body learns that it can safely be truly present, woof, that's when you're yeah. alive. That's when oof. you're alive. Mm. 
Yeah, that's magic right there. That's the magic. Wow. And and sidebar, it is disassociation, not disassociation. Can you like clear that? Clear the air. Yeah, disassociation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, this is how I feel also about like Dom versus Dame. I'm like, no, Dom, D O M M E and D O M are pronounced Dom. If there's not an accent ague at the end of it, it's like not Dame. So, yes. okay. Thank I just you. had to say yes. that. Had to say that. Yeah. Not being snobby, that's just French grammar. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> But not snobby. <laughs> like, I'm elitist. No. I'm not snobby. You're not snobby. Snobby. <laughs> <laughs> because there's the E. <laughs> That's what I'll tell people. I'm not snobby. I'm snobby. So. <laughs> We're in Vegas. It's just sparkling snarkiness. <laughs> <laughs> If I was in L.A., then it would be snobby. Yes. If you were, if you were in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so disassociation is the clinical term for that, like derealization, depersonalization. So disassociation. Because okay. um, I know people are like, what's the S? And dissociation is just like, I'm disconnected from something. But disassociation has that clinical um, meaning, specific clinical meaning. Okay. Okay. So, Thank you. Yeah. Thank no, you thanks for asking. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm using the right word. Uh, right. It's one of those like, uh, is it? But I don't, I don't know. Um, exactly. But yeah, but Can dissociation be intentional or is it something that is a response? It is a response. It is always a response. It is only a response then. Okay. Yes. So when somebody, um, people can, ugh, it's so painful, but like if somebody has had significant, both acute and, and chronic situations over time, they can slip into that state more easily. Um, mm-hmm. but it's always like, uh, it's the body's escape hatch of like, okay. and when we're dissociated, um, it's like, it is so incredibly unsafe that like, there's nothing you just, your, yourself has to go away. Um, and mm-hmm. so it really is, um, people can't truly control it. It is a response to overwhelm. And it might be something that to an outside person doesn't seem as overwhelming, but, um, I remember watching a scene and the, the bottom was clearly dissociated and, um, and it was frightening to watch and nobody else, I had to walk away because like there, there wasn't, it didn't feel safe to try to intervene. Um, mm-hmm. And I still think about that person um, to this day because, and it gets into that like voluntary consent. Yeah. I was going to say that they want to dissociate though. Who are we to say, no, you can't. But it was, it was that thing of like that, that was, and and because to me, they looked gone in the bad way, but I didn't mm-hmm. know them. And so to try to intervene in that scene, like didn't seem, you know, pink etiquette, right? You don't interrupt a scene right. unless totally. somebody says red, but I'm still haunted by that because mm-hmm. she looked gone to me, oh. but, um, she wasn't saying anything. Her top was not checking in on her, um, you know? And so while that might've been voluntary, I don't consider that was yeah. not ethical. Sometimes we use sexual wellness devices to get our mind off stuff. And you know, these days there's a lot to get our mind off of politics, pandemics, climate change, even our love life. Well, Satisfyer's new line of products is Bluetooth enabled and pairs with their Satisfyer Connect app. 
So you can connect your device to your Android, Apple, and iWatch. With the app, you can turn your phone into a remote control and create preset custom sequences that are perfect for getting your mind off of lots of stuff. Or you can use it to fuck to your favorite song. Connect it to Apple Music or Spotify and your device will respond to the beat of the music. Or the ambient sound feature vibrates to the voice of your partner. And speaking of partners, you can play with power dynamics and give the control to them. And you don't have to be near each other either. They can control your device with their phone from anywhere in the world or vice versa. You can even private message with disappearing messages to each other in the app and no worries. Satisfier uses the highest privacy protection with their app. They don't save your data and you don't even need an email address to log on. They use strong bond technology that prevents anyone from tracking, exchanging data, or taking over your Bluetooth. And Satisfier has so many awesome Bluetooth products to choose from. It is so hard to pick a favorite. But one I'm partial to is the Curvy 2 Plus. It stimulates the clitoris with air pulse technology and intense vibration. Plus, you can flip it around for G-Spot stimulation too. And Satisfier is offering our lucky American Sex Podcast listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter the code SUNNY30. That's S-U-N-N-Y-3-0 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for one of these favorite new devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use the code SUNNY30 for 30% off. Yeah, so that's my question is, let's say, uh, you know, I'm doing a scene with somebody and I negotiate, I say, I want to dissociate, I want you to get me to that place. A, is that ethical? And B, is that healthy? I would say no, to like, it's, they can ask, right? Any bottom, any top can ask for anything. So it's like, go ahead, people ask. If I was a top, I would not play with that person um, in, in to do that. I would be like, I want to do something else with you, but I would not do that. If somebody wants catharsis, cool, right? Like we can do catharsis. Absolutely. If somebody wants um, an intense experience, awesome. We can do that. But if somebody is like, because then I have to ask them, like, why are you trying to get away? Mm -hmm. What are you, why do you not want to be here in your body and your experience? And with me as the top. Where are you trying to escape to? And until they have an, an answer for that, they are not safe to play with. Because it once again, if they're going into dissociation, not subspace, then like I, I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer playing with them. I'm playing with a body and that's frightening. Um, so let me ask you this then. Let's say I'm a submissive. Maybe I'm relatively new to kink or maybe I'm not. Maybe I've been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. And I actually dissociate when I think I'm in subspace, but I'm actually not. So if I were that person who couldn't really, like, who didn't have a really good internal gauge Mm -hmm. of what is what feeling, Mm -hmm. what are some things that I could look for in myself to be able to differentiate this is what I'm feeling is subspace versus what I'm feeling is is dissociation and going someplace negative? Yeah, and it's a very good question. I would, this takes us back to kind of baseline BDSM um, etiquette, right? Of like asking people, and, and sometimes people aren't aware uh, what might trigger them or what traumas they they have, but I still think laying that foundation of 
do you do you have any trauma? You don't have to tell me the details, but do you have any trauma that you're aware of? Um, and that's why I want the kink scene to become more trauma informed to, to know that we can ask these during negotiation. So, like, mm-hmm. is this possible? So I will all use myself as an example. Like, I do have um, sexual trauma in my uh, from a relationship. So I would disclose that to a top um, and say, like, and there's certain words and there's certain ways of um, uh, coming up behind me that I don't like. So please don't do that. Um, but if somebody's new to the scene, then it's critical that they say, like, I'm new and I'm still figuring stuff out. And a good top will be like, then we're going to give you a scene in which you will want more. <laughs> or right. right. Of like, we're actually not going to go super deep. Because you don't know what deep versus shallow is yet. And so I will want to give you a scene in which you're as present and maybe ideally not bored, but present. So that later on you can be like, oh, I would, I think I can go a little bit more. I think I can go a little bit more. And that's how somebody literally learns how to trust their body. Um, but if, so Sunny, your question was kind of if, so how can internally somebody know? Yeah, like if I really don't know, yeah. like, ooh, is this subspace or just so I don't know. I'm not that in touch with my body, my feelings, my I'm confused. So something they can kind of register, because subspace tends to happen towards, you know, like there's been enough of uh, the process to happen for the endorphins to start kicking in for... Um, so you, you might not be able to get to subspace until kind of further in. But if you're noticing that you're bored, if you're noticing that there's um, like a sense of like yuckiness or just like your body is kind of contracting, um, when a when a bottom really is enjoying something, we usually like wiggling our tissues, we're like wiggling our toes, like we're like somehow engaging with the person. And if the person seems to be getting more and more still or they're kind of inching away from the implements. Um, if any kind of like a no in your internally kind of works its way up or like, ugh, or I don't, mm, and even if it feels really short, that's an indication that you're, it's not, you're not having a good time. Okay. So I, I tell people kind of like follow your yum and pay attention to your ugh or your like the, the blah. The blah is a okay. signal. The blah will happen ah. before, usually will happen before a, like an outright, like, I'm scared. I don't like this. No, like internally. Mm. That's so good. That actually answers a, a question I was about to ask yeah. because I had a submissive that for uh, when we were sort of doing uh, stuff to give aftercare, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, she wanted to be objectified in the truest sense of the word. She wanted to be treated like an Ottoman. Mm. And often I've wondered, is she dissociating? But she would only do it at the end of the session when there was a great feeling catharsis had been achieved. Mm. And it was sort of like having a couple minutes of alone time. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't be an object unless I had like my feet up on her back or there was some sort of physical contact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would that So that wouldn't be dissociation. Like if it was like if she was conscious of all of the different aspects, would it? Right. Like to me, that doesn't sound because it sounds like they, they knew of like, this is what I want. And uh, for some of us, when we're in subspace, we like just a few minutes of meditation time. Like that's really probably like if you were hooking up there, um, like what's happening internally, we just need this time to just be in a meditative place, which is very different than a disassociated place. 
Yeah, because it did seem more zen than yeah. like like unaware, I guess. And and those are two very different places. You're absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh I want to touch on neurodivergence and trauma. And I think, August, you Mm. had some, like, this is part of your story. Mm. So tell us, you know, I talk a lot about neurodivergence and kink, because I am neurodivergent. Um, But then when we embroil trauma in there, and even the trauma from living a life of being neurodivergent, especially when you're a woman and you're not diagnosed until you're 49, like me. So let's talk about that. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I was diagnosed with ADHD at, I think, 30, 29 or 30. Uh Um, But definitely, it's it's incredible to me. Um, You know, the more I learn about folks' experiences, I see so much that I relate to that I wish we all talked about and knew about because there is a, a, a trauma that comes from not understanding how your brain works, not understanding why you feel so different, not understanding why you are getting in trouble all the time. Um, all these things that feel like quote unquote flaws about you, which also, you know, comes from being in a very ableist culture and having teachers who, um, don't know how to address a child who is, um, neurodivergent and, and then certainly, you know, race plays a big role in whether you're diagnosed or not. Um, black kids are much more likely to be considered unruly and get in trouble more often um, and have even later diagnosis if, if there's a diagnosis at all. So I interviewed Renee Brooks, who's an incredible expert. You're probably familiar, Sunny, I imagine, mm-hmm. um, for, for the book. And she shared her story. And I love that she brought up the point that she said it's so important for folks who have ADHD to um, have trauma therapy as well as ADHD support. And that is something that I and so many other folks I've I've encountered have struggled with is feeling misunderstood by the person you're going to for support and for therapy. Um, I had a trauma therapist who didn't really understand or know much about ADHD. And it was very hard because sometimes just a part of you, the way that your brain functions is simply a part, the way your brain functions. It's not a trauma response. Um, mm-hmm. And so that can get really, really confusing, you know, mm-hmm. like even disassociation versus um, intense daydreaming, you know, um, there, mm. there's so many examples of, of that or feeling like you need to move all the time. One thing I heard a lot through, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying that if you are really thriving in these urgent situations when the world feels like it's falling apart, it's a trauma response. And I understand that that could be the case. It's also something that me and many folks who um, are ADHD folks thrive in emergency situations. It's, I think it's why our brains were built the way they were, which makes for a great, you know, cave person. I think I would have mm-hmm. been an excellent like hunter, um, except I love mm-hmm. animals. So I'd be hunting like berries, but, um, <laughs> but I, I really a little spear. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. Just a little, just a little toothpick. Then comes August. <laughs> <laughs> Stalking the wily blackberry. That's so true. It's so true. I actually feel like I just went back to a previous life when you said that. Um, that is so me. Yeah. And then constant movement, like all these things that yeah. 
we can thrive with in the yeah. right scenario. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't just need that. Like I, uh, Renee talked about this too. Like some people need medication, some people don't. And I think it's also really important when you're talking about trauma and neurodivergence that it's totally great if one of your supports is medication. It's totally great if you're able to thrive without. There's there's just so many different types of stigma <laughs> attached to all of these things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that when you put them together, it's so hard because when you are neurodivergent and to use your example, Sunny, of not knowing for a very long time, and then while you're going through that, those challenges on top of that, dealing with other types of trauma, it becomes this accumulative, you know, they call it, some people call it complex PTSD, where it's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a singular event, or maybe it's a singular event on top of living with neurodivergence that's not understood, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. the combination can be so tough again, because of the ruminating thoughts and the, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough. And yeah. I, I do find that um, something that came up through writing this book, I remember having a conversation with Jamila for one of the chapters, and we were talking about the importance of community and how powerful it is to find folks who are into the things you're into, whether it's in the community or BDSM or uh, poly, whatever, whatever is your lifestyle and what you're into. And also folks that you can relate to around your challenges and around the things that make you unique um, Mm -hmm. in your neurology. Uh, It's been incredible for me to connect with other ADHD folks and just feel so free. Like when I interviewed Renee, we were both walking all over the fricking place. Like we, and there was no conversation about it. It was just like, Oh, we're, we're like this. You know, there was one part I, I started laughing because I was walking around in the backyard, like picking up a ball or something. And I looked over and she was like sitting on a chair with her leg up in this toward the ceiling. And I, it, we would never have done that if we were in a, you know, formal interview and we've not met right. before. So there's, there's that connection that I think is really important. I don't know if you've experienced that Sunny. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, find I mean, there, there's just, you know, it's like the weird conversation quirks and like the sidebars and the weird things that, that, neurotypical people are like oh god stay on the subject or oh it's so frustrating to talk like neurodivergent people we get it mm. we're like yeah ah. yeah yeah it's do you it's know what just- all of this makes me want to do make a t-shirt that says fuck cortisol uh-huh. <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm just saying yeah. fuck cortisol i would yeah, buy that fuck cortisol yeah <laughs> no but like as a neurodivergent person especially who's somebody who has gone undiagnosed um and even honestly even if i was diagnosed being a woman of color in the mental health system mm-hmm. and being younger i don't know how much that would have helped me or maybe giving me even more stigma and misunderstanding mm-hmm. about my neurodivergency yeah. who knows um but I have found that in sex and relationships, especially like not only do I have ADHD, I have um, a learning disability, nonverbal learning disability, and it shares some characteristics um, with autism spectrum disorder. So like the social uh, cues and the nonverbal, like not being able to read cues, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's always made uh, social interactions, romantic relationships, sex, flirting, all of those things so 
really traumatic. I mean, I, you know, I would say frustrating, but probably a, an accumulation of a lifetime of just feeling like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, really probably is trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not only do I have that present then when I am engaging in people in a more, you know, romantic sort of sense or sexual sense, um, that's, hard with just vanilla sex or vanilla situations. But I have found for me, um, joining the kink community, and I would gather to say it's probably similar in other sex positive communities as well, like the polyamory community, etc. That that had given me it had opened the door for me to be able to be upfront about my weird needs or my weird quirks or to just be like, hey, I have no idea what the fuck you mean right now. Can you explain this to me in many words? Um, Where like in vanilla situations, I would just feel like they're going to think that I am just clueless. But in kink, it's like, oh, or even in in sex positivity, you know, the larger circle, I can say, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. Hey, I have a weird request. Can you blah, 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 because I need blah, blah, blah. And in any other situation, people would look at me like I had three heads. Mm -hmm. But in kink, it's like, okay, maybe I think that's weird, but who am I to judge? Good on you for advocating for yourself. (laughs) So talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. Have y'all found that as well? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I I have definitely found that. And as you shared that example, um, it reminded me, I, I, it's not a fetish for me, but I do really enjoy and get turned on by like, learning about the body and like medical tests and stuff like that. And I was telling somebody about this experience, I was able to masturbate in an um, MRI machine for uh, the mm. orgasm brain That's studies. Awesome. That's so cool. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> Even after you said it for brain studies, it was awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. It was just, it was completely a, a dream come true um, in a very literal sense. Um, <laughs> but when I, I remember telling somebody about that, uh, when I've told people about it in the general public, mm. they don't go, oh, that's so amazing. They go, they go, Oh wow, that's brave. Or were you supposed to masturbate? Or like, and- <laughs> no, I just go to random MRIs. My hand was free, and <laughs> seems like more fun. Um, just MRI machines get my nipples so hard I couldn't help. Exactly. Write. Like what? Exactly. Oh my, exactly. Oh my and, oh. and then what I uh, I remember telling somebody at I think it was like a sexuality conference or something, sharing about the experience. And I remember somebody, when I said that I really get turned on by like medical equipment, they, in the most loving way, were just like, that is so fascinating. Um, So do you need to be, you know, plugged into something in order to have an orgasm or, and they were asking all these thoughtful questions and it was so amazing. I just, oh yeah, I hadn't really thought about that correlation, Sunny, until you you shared that. But it, I do think that sex positivity has the communities and the the openness. I feel so free in it, and I think that that does translate in being able to talk about a lot of things, not all things, because again, like when you feel boundaries. alone in in trauma, yeah, boundaries too, <laughs> boundaries for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, it's it's something I've had to learn to do about cer- in certain areas of my life. Um, I still have growth to do, but there is a huge freedom. Um, and just feeling like people, 
you know, they really respect whatever is going to come out of your mouth. It's it's just, there's no, you're so weird, which is, it's probably been very healing for me as somebody Uh who always felt so weird. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm going to, I'm going to segue that into our, our wrap up. This is the last thing I want to talk about, but I was just thinking um, how August you were saying that in, you know, the default vanilla world, people are just like, oh, that's weird. They don't think about all of the nuances and the layers and Mm. how you personally might relate to that situation as opposed to like that guy standing over there in the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jamila, how does this relate to the phrase that smacked me across the face in this book? Because I have thought the same thing, maybe not in as alliteration and tight as your phrase, but beware of the binary. Mm. Tell me about that phrase and how that might relate to this situation. Yeah, the situation that August shared and that you shared? Yeah, yeah. about vanilla people just being like, that's, that's so awesome weird. or that's weird. Yeah. And sex positive people like, being a little more, about that. I don't know, like, that's, nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I'm, I don't know when I thought of that phrase, but it, I, I share with my clients. I'm like, beware the binary, embrace paradox. Those are the, that it's a full thought that mm-hmm. binary, um, yeah, like, I mean, right, this is dominant culture that says there's one way to have sex, that there's only two genders, that your success is this, like these very, I would say, brittle and rigid ideas of something. And right. that it's that or it's not that. And if it's not that, it's bad. Like, that's yeah. that's what we get from dominant culture. And so when we have um, community and alternative cultures, I don't really say alternative communities anymore, but alternative cultures, like um, when neurodivergent people gather or when kink people gather, um, the the etiquette, the expectations, it's completely different, which allows for people to show up differently. Right. Like that's why like I, I continue to urge people like get into some kind of community so that you'll be able to experience yourself differently. And all of my clients know that, like, I, I train all of my clients out of saying the word weird, unless they really, really, really mean it. Because um, sometimes they really did have, like, a weird week. And I'm like, well, tell me about the weird week. But most often I try to move that out of their lexicon because that's the internalized, that's internalized weirdness, right? Of, like, mm, instead yeah. of assuming that um, I am legitimate, that my interests, that what gets me off, that what... um what I like to do, my daydreaming, my um, sensitivity to things that as fundamental and has fundamental legitimacy, we've been told that that's weird. And I'm like, no, that's you. And I want to know about you and what um, kink communities and some polyam communities do is just take you as you are and then allow you to be that without stigma. And that in and of itself is profoundly healing. Because again, we do need other people to reflect ourselves to us. And if the larger culture reflects that we're problematic, then we will think of ourselves as problematic. Oh, I love it. Now I'm like, I'm thinking about the way I, because I use weird a lot, Mm -hmm. but I like, like I've embraced weird. Like some people have embraced like freak or pervert. Like I always say that, there is no normal, like, yeah. being weird is normal. So I'm like, am I using weird in a bad way? Or a bad 
gotta if think I, about if I was it. working with you as a therapist client, I would I would want that conversation. Literally, of like, yeah. tell me what, like what weird used to mean in the time. I love like, weird. Like, change if someone for says you, I'm weird, like, I'm yeah, like, I'm oh, cool. Tell me more. Right, thank you. For <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> weird people. Yay, my favorite. Like, so I don't know. And that's the thing. It's, it's not so much necessarily like making people like don't ever use that word ever again, but more of like, what's the story and what yeah. has, how has the story changed? And is the story helping you live truly who you are? So, mm-hmm. you know, if a um, sensitive that used to definitely right. be launched at me is like a problem. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, you're absolutely right. I am. I absolutely am sensitive. Um, but I will, I will for myself. Well, I won't call myself um, strange or um, odd or anything like that. Because like yeah. that for me would take me back into that other place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use things like a hybrid. Um, yeah. Like, that's how I'll think of myself and the things that I, I do. But yeah, like, find the words and like, and then live yeah. in them. And if a word no longer yeah. suits you, then like, move that word aside and live in it. And I'm thinking like, somatically, because I, I'm very disconnected from my body. And lately, I've been trying to think like, how does that make me feel? When mm. I hear the word weird, mm-hmm. like the way I think of it, it makes me feel excited and open. And mm. But when you said strange and odd, I felt like closed, like, ew. Like there. everything just like closed up, like a flower dying in fast motion. There you like, go. And that, yeah. that distinction of like your body will tell you like which word, which ideas, that somatics right there. Oof. Yes. I you love it. Like that. This conversation has been freaking amazing. <laughs> uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the book, anything you got going on, you know, all the good stuff. August, go for it. Sure. Uh, So the best way to interact with me and basically my whole world, um, besides my dog, is my podcast. (laughs) So Girl Boner Radio, you can find it wherever you're listening. And it's a true story driven, um, primarily narrative uh, platform for folks to share true stories about sex and sexuality. Um, And you can also find links to everything else I do at girlboner.org. Oh, wonderful. Jamila. And I can be found on Twitter um, under just Jamila underscore Dawson um, or on Instagram um, as Jamila dot the sex therapist. Awesome. And your book is with pleasure. It is out now. It is everywhere. Like pretty much you find books, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> uh, thank you. American fuckers. And if congratulations. You're like, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes. We can't hear each other because we have headphones on. So like, what? Uh, and, what? and we're old. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Even like three feet. Like, that's half of our life now is just yelling what across the house. And then, like, totally mishearing what the other person says. It's just amazing. It is amazing. Um, so, for the American fuckers listening along, if you're like, what? I didn't get those links. What? Don't worry. They're going to be in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com for this episode, which I think is, I think, 173 it's going to be. Or just go to the uh, description, whatever podcast player you're listening to right now, and all those links will be there. And thank you both. Oh, thank you this so been much. Amazing. Thank you, you so much. Robin. You really are amazing. Aww. So great to be here. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.